There is one sentence that changed the world forever. One sentence that spoke of a new beginning. One sentence that ushered in a new kingdom and a new reality. A sentence that was spoken not by a president in front of Congress or a general in front of their troops, but rather a sentence spoken by mysterious strangers to a few frightened women. A sentence that still has the power to draw forth light from darkness and morning from night. One sentence. He is not here. He is risen. We're here today because of that one sentence. And we gather with friends and family here and with billions of people around the world who this day gather with the one confession that unites Christians across countries and languages, creeds and denominations. He is risen. Early on a Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and a few other women meet together for a solemn task. In their haste to bury Jesus before sundown on the Sabbath, they had been unable to properly prepare for the burial rites. There were spices to be applied, psalms to read, prayers to be said. It would be one last chance to say goodbye. Now, these women had been with Jesus for most of his public ministry. They had served him, learned from him, followed him. They had been among the only disciples to stay with him to the bitter end while all the men ran away. And so they had come to say one last goodbye. Because it's hard to let someone you love go. And so they wander through the twilight of a city beginning to wake. They make their way into the cemetery past century-old graves, the first light of a new week beginning to peek through the trees. And as they approach the tomb, perhaps they thought that the twilight was playing a trick on their eyes because it looked to them like the tomb was open. It looked like that heavy stone which they had seen closed tight, it looked like it was rolled away. As they draw closer, they realize it's not a trick of the light, but in fact the tomb is open. Now there are only two logical explanations. And the first one is pretty frightening. You see, in the ancient world, it was common that grave robbers would come in the night and steal things from the tombs. Steal clothes, steal the linen wrappings, perhaps there was jewelry left by the family. And so they would break in and steal 
imagine, too, if this is Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthier member of the city, if this is his family tomb, it's probably in one of the better parts of the cemetery, more likely to have been robbed. And so the women might have thought the worst. But when they go in, expecting to find the tomb in shambles and the poor body of Jesus exposed, they see nobody. Literally, nobody. Before they can even begin to process this, they turn around and there are two men standing there. Perhaps the other explanation for what's happened strikes their mind. That this was not an accidental grave robbing. But perhaps the Romans had sent soldiers to confiscate the body of Jesus. In order that this place would not become a place of worship. That Jesus would not be a martyr and this would be a shrine to his memory. Taking the body away forever and hiding it where they would never find it. It might have felt like they had lost him a second time. And so perhaps they're expecting to see two Roman soldiers to tell them, we took him forever. And so the scripture tells us that they dropped to the ground in fear. Because these could be robbers, these could be soldiers, but in no way are they expecting these to be friendly faces with good news. And yet... They hear the sentence. He is not here. He is risen. There it is, that one sentence that changes everything for the women and for the world. That one sentence that means the grave hasn't been robbed, his body hasn't been stolen. This means, wait a minute. This means he's not dead. And not giving the women any time to understand or ask questions or even begin to comprehend, they tell them, remember how he told you when he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to be sinners to be crucified, but on the third day he would rise? And as soon as these women hear that word, the third day, something clicks in their mind. Remember, these are good Hebrew women who had grown up knowing the stories of Israel, knowing their scriptures backwards and forwards. They would have instantly remembered that in the book of Genesis, God created the earth on the third day. They would have remembered that the Lord appeared to the people at Mount Sinai to deliver the covenant of God on the third day of their 40-year journey. They would have remembered how Jonah was delivered from the belly of a great fish on the third day. You see, friends, they would have known that God always does amazing, miraculous, life-changing things on the third day, and perhaps they had not even realized that it had been three days since Jesus' death. Could it be true? 
Well, they get up and with those words still ringing in their ears, they make their way back through the city past people who don't know what has happened, that the world has quite literally changed overnight. People getting up, starting their work day, boiling water for chores, men on their way to work, women doing laundry, all the way in this sleepy, ancient Mediterranean town that has become the epicenter of a changing world. They walk to a secret, predetermined hideout to tell a group of men still cowering in fear this good news. He's not here. He is risen. Now the men think the women are delirious. Maybe they've had a tough week. The shock of what they've seen on Friday was too much for them. Of course, they can only imagine since they weren't there. They think it's an idle tale. Perhaps y'all need to go back to sleep and things will be okay in the morning. They don't believe them. Except one. One of the disciples was done hiding. He had been weighed down by his own shame and regret, but as soon as the women told him that one sentence, all that weight fell away. Peter leaps to his feet, bursts out of the door, doesn't worry about being seen in the, the daylight, and he runs to the tomb, and when he gets there, he stoops in, not quite sure what he's going to see, and there he sees an empty slab with the burial cloths, folded neatly by themselves. I'm a, bit of a, I'm a bit of a neat freak, and so I appreciate that Jesus tidied up a bit on His way out. Peter stands back up, looks around, and although it's not in the Bible, I like to think a smile breaks across his face when he realizes the truth of that sentence for the first time. He is not here. He is risen. That one sentence becomes the center point of the church's life for the next 2,000 years. That one sentence launches a movement that spreads from that empty tomb throughout Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That one sentence is eventually heard in all the Greek cities across the Mediterranean. It's heard among the trading caravans of North Africa. It's heard in the emperor's court in Rome. It's even made all the way to this little town, Jackson, Mississippi. That sentence in which a community is born of a new life shared in the sure and certain hope that this life is not all that there is. A community that sees in Jesus the first fruits of our own resurrection. A community that does not fear the grave because the power of death has been defeated forever. A community that believes the sentence, He is not here, He is risen. But I have even better news than that. 
This one sentence is not just about life in the future, but it's about how we live in the here and now. Because the resurrection is God's validation of all that Jesus had said and done in His ministry. You know, all those things Jesus said about praying for your enemies, loving your neighbor as yourself, caring for the poor, tending to the widow and the orphan, confessing at how often we fail at those things, and yet all the things about Jesus forgiving us in spite of our sins, all that Jesus said about a kingdom of peace and justice, of mercy and forgiveness, of love and hope. The resurrection is God's yes to all of Jesus' life and teaching. Yes to love. Yes to compassion. Yes to mercy and forgiveness. Yes to a kingdom of peace and justice. If you want to know if Jesus' words are trustworthy and true, if you want to know if a life like His is possible in this world, God offers this one sentence. He is not here. He is risen. Now tomorrow, I know, we will return to the real world where we're not dressed nearly as pretty, where there aren't as many flowers, where the candy has somehow disappeared, and we go back to a regular life. And that world will seem dominated by other sentences. Other sentences that offer pain and confusion, sorrow and grief. We might read a sentence in the newspaper or listen to the radio or the evening news or your favorite podcast, and it'll be a sentence about a senseless crime or political corruption or economic uncertainty. You might even hear sentences that are more personal and hurtful. You might hear a sentence like, I don't love you anymore. We're going to have to let you go. Or a sentence from a doctor, I'm afraid it's serious. Tomorrow, you may be tempted to think those sentences have the final say and ultimate power. But my prayer for each of you is that you will never forget what you have heard this morning. Never forget the witness of the faithful women beside an empty tomb. Never forget the words of two mysterious messengers. Never forget Our hope that because Jesus was raised from the dead, the grave is not the final reality. Death is not the last word. And the only sentence that has any real power in this life or the life to come is this one sentence. He is not here. He 
is risen. Alleluia. 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 Amen.